Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. You're welcome along to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact regarding last week's programme about the environment extinction. You can listen back to our podcast still on newstalk.com or on iTunes. And as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up today, we're going to be discussing nursing home and step down care in Ireland. We'll be examining what, sir, services are available to you, the recipient, and also to the family member. To join us for the first part of our panel discussion, we're joined in studio by the Chief Executive of Nursing Homes Ireland, Tyg Daly. Tyg, my thanks to you for joining us today. Hi, Andrea. Just first of all, Tyg, just explain for us, what, what do Nursing Homes Ireland do? Well, Nursing Homes Ireland is ultimately the representative organisation for the private and voluntary nursing home sector. Uh, private, we have 440 private and voluntary nursing homes across the country providing care in a home from home to about 25,000 uh, residents. Uh, so we ultimately are the representative organisation dealing with government agencies, uh, Department of Health, Minister for Health, uh, dealing with uh, HICWA as the regulator, mm. the HSE also as a service provider. So uh, ultimately a strong voice, if you like, for the providers of care. Yes, yeah, so You're not the regulatory body, you're the uh, representative group, would that be fair? Absolutely, representative group for, for private and voluntary. Okay, just... At a very, I suppose, basic type, um explanatory level, can you just outline for people how the current system works in Ireland? You have a parent or you yourself, if you're listening today, you feel you need or you'd like to use a nursing home services. Just on, on both the public and private level, what's available? Yeah, well, in essence, there's about 580 nursing homes across the country. Uh, as I said, the vast majority would be private and voluntary, about 450. And then there's about 120, 130 uh, HSE-run public nursing homes. Uh, in total, they provide care to, uh, in the ballpark, of about 30,000 uh, older people. Uh, so the sector is heavily regulated on the one hand in terms of regulated by HICWA, uh, which is the independent uh, statutory regulator, mm-hmm. and on the other hand, uh, very heavily regulated in terms of, of price regulation through the National Treatment Purchase Fund. So ultimately, nursing homes provide a wide range of services to ensure that you know people can have a, a holistic life. Sometimes people think of nursing home as, as end of life, and yes, the dependency level, the age profile, the complexity of people coming to nursing home care now is much, much higher. Uh, but our job uh, as nursing home providers and our members' job is to ensure uh, that people have you know rich experiences of life despite the fact that they have maybe a life-limiting illness or despite the fact that they have tr- difficulties with activities of daily living or despite the fact that they have multiple uh, multiple challenges in terms of their life. So nursing home care, the vast majority would be long-term residential care. And by long-term, you know, it's people coming to live in the nursing home. But nursing homes also provide short stay, step-down, convalescence care. So there's a myriad of, of services. And some of our members now would provide meals on wheels, would provide daycare, some of our members provide home care. Um, so what we need to ensure in Ireland, I suppose, we have an ageing population and sometimes that's portrayed as a mm-hmm. negative. In yeah, fact, the yeah. opposite is the case. That's a we good should, thing. We're living absolutely. longer, yeah. We should be celebrating the fact that we're living longer. Like, we're adding years to life. Now, we, you know, so what we need to do is, is add life to those add life to those years and that's where nursing homes come in uh, nursing homes you know very often are seen as a, um, I suppose the end of life and yes while many of it is palliative care we can still and many members do provide a very very good service mm. so it's about ensuring we have a continuum of care for older people you know we have an ageing population but we need to plan for that and that's one of the concerns from an NHI point of view is that we're not planning appropriately for that ageing that ageing population Okay a couple of different points I want to come to today but I just want to go back to one figure tag that you mentioned there you said about 350 overall nursing 
in terms of private and uh, public nursing homes. Is that right? No, about five hundred and uh, sorry, yeah, about five hundred and eighty. Five eighty. I can't sorry. even read my own writing. Yes. Pardon me. Five eighty. But you said about um, three quarters of which are within the pro- the public the private realm. Correct. Okay. So. But but is that leaving aside, for instance, if somebody goes into hospital with perhaps a fall and then they become in the long stay element of the hospital, that's separate to the nursing home in the public sector? It, it is. It is. Uh, all of the nursing homes are regulated by HICWA, so they'd be the ones that are registered. Um, but yes, what you have in people in, I mean, it's interesting you, you discuss the hospital issue, for example. I mean, every day of the week on your programme and others, people talk about the delayed discharges and the crisis yeah. in A&E. I mean, 60, over 60% of people who are delayed in the acute hospital system are awaiting residential care awaiting nursing home care, waiting on funding, waiting on discharge. So the nursing home sector has a very critical role to play in what we would term a well-functioning uh, health service, meeting the needs of people. And again, it's community care. We hear all the talk about Schlon to care and the reorientation of care from the acute hospital mm. system to the community. Nursing home care is, in essence, community care. And what's interesting, though, when you mentioned the, the, the phrase, the dis, um, delayed discharges, because in probably many cases, a lot of people that should be in the nursing home setting are actually still on a bed in the hospital waiting to get that kind of approval, particularly at an administrative level and obviously to get their own affairs in order. We'll come to the financial aspect of that in a moment. But what's the kind of ideal timeline for that transition? Well, to be fair to the HSE, uh, you know, under the Nursing Home Support Scheme uh, and government themselves have committed to a four-week period uh, so what they're saying is that once a person has applied and has all their forms in, that they will commit to providing funding within a four-week period. That, so that, mm, that, that okay. is a, a government commitment. Now, that has been challenged recently because of budgets and because of demand. Uh, and we're very, very fearful uh, that that period will, will lengthen. Because if that lengthens, obviously, it has a direct impact on the older person. But it has a huge impact on and the And on the service. hospital as well, actually. Absolutely, on the wider health service. We talk about beds. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're talking about in an ideal world, you should know within four weeks. But is that dependent then in terms of your the, the geography, where you're located? Yeah, I suppose some of it is a postcode lottery and, and in fact we met, I know Minister Daly is, is, is joining your programme as well, we met Minister Daly recently on the whole delayed discharge for example, he had a piece of work done last year uh, internally with the department in Ernst & Young uh, and we would say that the, the day a person arrives into the acute hospital system, that is the day you should be planning their discharge. You know, there's no point in waiting until the period of, of uh, acute care or the episode or acute episode is over. You need to plan on day one because, you know, you need to ensure that the person knows that in three days, mm. three weeks, or indeed, uh, you know, uh, three months, God forbid, uh, that this is your, your plan for your discharge and this is where you will likely be going because uh, that's much better for everybody. Okay. Talk us through the options, um, if you can, Ty, that are available at the moment. If it was well in both in both the public and the private mm. setting. Well, in effect, as I say, you have uh, you know thirty thousand older people living in, in nursing homes right across the country. So our members are literally dotted in every community across uh, across Ireland. Um, and as I said, the majority of care provided by the nursing home sector would be long term residential care. So it is literally twenty four seven nursing uh, care appropriate to the needs of the individual. But also, we would uh, place heavily emphasis on the social care aspect. Mm. You know, it's all very well making sure that the person has their medications and has their dressings. But what we need to ensure is that uh, the time in the nursing home is 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 vibrant. 
involved uh, and that they can still engage in their activities, for example. So if they were playing bridge uh, when they were in the community, there's no reason why they shouldn't continue playing bridge in the nursing home if they're into music, if they're into art. So uh, we would have a concern around the way the fair deal is structured, for example, because the fair deal is very much about basic aids and appliances and there's a whole myriad of services which are excluded for example under the fair deal which residents then will have to uh, pay for out Should of they the, not oh. be optional though? Optional services? Oh yeah well many of them are optional services but I, the point I'm making I suppose Andrea is what we need to ensure is, is that we have a vibrant nursing home community uh, you know it's not just about it's, it's way different It's home to the, from home it's Absolutely it's their home and it's their will and preference it's what mm. they like to do on a daily basis so okay. if they wish to stay in bed in the morning and have breakfast at 11 o'clock that should be that should be the case if they would like to go out, for example, and do a visit, or if they'd like to just stay in their room. So what, what each individual resident would have an individual care plan, for example. So you need to capture, as I said, the, the, the likes and dislikes and the will and preferences of all the people to meet their individual individual care needs. Uh, can I ask you as well, Tig, about, um, I suppose, just earlier in earlier this month, we had a call for further regulation actually within that area. They're looking for further clarity with regards to the kind of, I suppose, optional services like you mentioned there that are provided in nursing homes. Would you support that regulation of that area? Well, it is heavily regulated as we speak. Uh, as I say, HICWA is the independent regulator and each resident uh, is provided with a contract for care on admission. And the contract has to set out the, the, the services to be provided and the fees to be charged. So it is very, very highly, highly, highly regulated. Our concern and our frustration, if you like, is that under the fair deal, I suppose, people believe that the fair deal covers all of the services. Unfortunately, it doesn't. Uh, and that's an issue that government, we would argue, need to address pr- very swiftly. Is there a lack of understanding about how fair deal works? I know when we covered mm. this topic time and time again, and naturally, look, it's not something people want to be, you know, perhaps talking about unnecessarily, but yes. that's something a lot of the, the lobby groups will say, these are conversations that probably need to be had at home. Well, and that's that's a, an excellent point because what we would say is that, you know, when you're talking to your mum or dad who is older or your aunt or uncle, you know, it, it, it can be a difficult conversation to broach obviously because uh, you don't want to presume that a person is going to get ill or frail but ultimately people are living longer that's good people are, are frailer so I think it is right and appropriate that people should have that conversation about where what, what type of care the person would like uh, and that they plan ahead I mean the Hospice Foundation for example have a very good document called Think Ahead uh, so again about mm-hmm. getting the person themselves to set out what their likes and dislikes and will and preferences are. Well, ask the person as opposed to telling them. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Let's have that conver- Let's have that conversation. And you're right. I mean, very often, I suppose, nursing home care and the fair deal is can be seen sometimes as a, it's on foot of a crisis. So maybe an older person has fallen, mm-hmm. has broken their hip, for example, and all of a sudden they need care. And the, you know, the family member who's who's uh, brokering or is engaging with the nursing home is their first time doing it. So we understand, and our members fully understand, you know, the 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 I suppose the challenges that. That particular time. It's a very vulnerable time for families as well because they're very confused. You know, they're concerned about their their, their mum or dad or their, their, lo- or their family them, member and then they're saying, well, where do I look? Where yeah, do I go? They're emotional so, decisions as well. Absolutely. But we would say to them is visit the nursing home. Talk to our members. Talk to the director of nursing. Talk to the staff. Find out, you know, what's life, what's life like in this nursing home um, because you are sometimes making, you know, I won't say the decision but trying to better inform mm. your, your parent in terms of making that decision. I suppose one of the things that really can dictate how a decision is made is the financial element of all of this. We've talked about fair deal and Mm. I've no doubt people are listening today and they're thinking, you know, you hear this word been 
thrown about the place but actually having an understanding of how it works just explain that for us like. yeah to be fair the fair deal is a very good system from the point of view of the of the care recipient and the older person would you believe it's 10 years in, in October of this year 2000, 2009 uh, did Minister Harney uh, use the phrase that it would be affordable accessible and anxiety free so in, in essence what the fair deal does is is it a person has I suppose two stages of, a, of an application there's the care needs assessment um, so it, it's it's First of all, determining whether a person requires residential care. And then there's the financial piece. Uh, in terms of the financial piece, uh, in effect, uh, what it does is it looks at your income and your assets. In terms of your income, a person contributes 80% of your income um, and uh, potentially up to 22.5% uh, of your of your assets will be contributed towards your, towards your cost of post care. Post-deceased, though. Yeah, well, it can be or it can be paid as you go as well. I mean, sometimes if you have three or four siblings in a family, what they can say is rather than uh, having that, that revenue lean on the houses that were, are on the, the primary principal residence, then you can uh, discharge your, your, your uh, cost of care uh, as, as you go. 80% of your income, irrespective of where you live, what nursing home you go into. It's just 80% of whether you are in receipt of social welfare payments? Correct. Correct. And the other important point is that it's ulti- ultimately, once you're approved for a fair deal, it is the ultimately your choice where you wish to reside. So you can choose any nursing home, public, private or voluntary. So I could decide, although I'm from Donegal, I live in Dublin, but I might now like to go to Cork. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes you have that because families have moved around. So maybe the family have moved and the, the parent might need to move with the family or vice versa. So it, resident choice is critical. Uh, and it's a really okay. important point for people that they understand that it is their choice ultimately at, at the end of the day. Provision where they has wish to, to be live. made for them. Is that what you're saying? Well, ultimately, it's enshrined in the legislation that they can choose whichever nursing home they wish as once they're fair deal, once they're fair deal approved. Sometimes we get calls in the office and they say to us, well, you know, the hospital are saying I should go to a particular nursing home, public, private or voluntary. It's important that people would say that it is their choice once they're approved for fair deal. Okay, so just sorry to clarify that. If I am approved for for a fair deal, the fair deal scheme, I can decide I want to go to Ty Daly's private nursing home. You mightn't have space for me in that facility. Oh, of course. Well, it's it's obviously based on based on availability. But you know, a bed may come available, for example. So that happens from so time you can to time. Move. Exactly. So from time to time, uh, you know, you you may wish to if you're from West Cork or Donegal, uh, you might say, well, there's no bed in my local nursing home at this time. But what what a person can do is under fair deal is then transfer from the other nursing home they're in to the nursing home of their choice ultimately at the end of the day. Okay, what are the blockers to getting approved for Fair Deal? Well, why, why are people not getting approved for it? Well, I suppose there's two issues. One is the care, the, 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 the common summary assessment, which is the, the single assessment tool, which basically determines that a person... So in some cases, people might be uh, provided with an enhanced home care package. So they might say that the person, you know, could manage potentially in their own home uh, with, with more support. So that's one area. The other area, is, which is the more common area, is the availability of, mm. of, of funding. Uh, in effect, it's a set budget year, year to year. And this year, uh, the HSE have, have uh, budgeted for 23,042 older people will be provided with funding under Fair Deal. But as you saw recently in some media reports, they're actually gone over that figure already. Um, so the budget is is, is under pressure, um, and um, Sorry, I know we, we've gone over for twenty nineteen for twenty nineteen already already. So nobody else now we're saying as of May twenty nineteen is going to be approved. Well, no. What's what's happening is obviously as people as people pass on, 
uh, then somebody new can come into the scheme. But in essence, what what that's doing uh, again is it's it's having a huge impact on the families, but it's having a, a big impact as well on the acute hospital system. So we are concerned. Now the minister, to be fair to him, uh, Minister Daly has said that uh, he has instructed the HSE not to go beyond a four week waiting period. Uh, but that remains to be that remains to be seen because if we are at the the cusp of the budget, then obviously it will it will it will put pressure on on budget as we get towards the uh, the the end of the year. If the budget this, though has already been exhausted, how can they... Well, the budget has been apportioned, I suppose, if you like. I mean, there's someone in a bed today, for example, who will who will still be there in December. So you have to obviously make provision uh, for 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 that for that person. But on the on the budget as well, I mean, uh, the point we would make is that the the, the cost of care in the, the public nursing homes is up to sixty percent on average. Uh, so the the HSE are in effect paying themselves multiples of what they're expecting the private sector to pay. Uh, and recently, explain at the, that. Well, on a weekly basis, the average fee across all private and voluntary nursing homes across the country, average now across all uh, 450 nursing homes, uh, is about €990 per week, just short of €1,000 per week. Per person? Per person, per bed. per bed per week. The average fee in the, in the HSE nursing homes is running at €1,600 per week. Uh, one six five nine is the actual figure. So if uh, I go to sorry, just to clarify, if I go to the private nursing home, it'll cost me nine hundred and thousand euros, thousand yeah. euro per bed per week. Yes. If I go to the private, the public nursing home, it'll cost the guts of sixteen hundred. Sixteen hundred and fifty nine is the average fee in the in in the public nursing homes, and that was raised at public accounts recently in the public accounts committee. In effect, the HSE, uh, which provide twenty percent of the care, uh, is eating up over over one third of the budget. Um, so again, um. You know, the Comptroller and Auditor General. There's a value for money review ongoing. So, like, there is discrimination. Uh, we would argue from the private and voluntary sector in terms of how the budget is allocated. And, and in terms of to explain how that budget works for the public and private sector. Well, it's it's one bu- it's one budget, but in effect, the private sector have to negotiate, and I use that word very advisedly on an, on a, either an annual or a biannual basis with the National Treatment Purchase Fund in terms of the weekly fee. So the weekly fee is set by government, whereas in fact the HSE just set their own fee with no oversight whatsoever at all. Uh, they just say, uh, we have X amount of residents, this is the, the Y is the cost, we divide one by the other, and there's our weekly, there's our weekly fee. People still going into the public system um, via the fair deal scheme, though, they'll still be contributing 80% of their, sal- of their income, of, of their, their salary income. or their... Yes, of their income, 80%. That's irrespective of public versus private. It is, absolutely, yeah. But I suppose the point we're making is that, you know, the, the budget is quite extensive. It's 985 million this year. Uh, we would argue that, you know, that the, the, there, there is a, a discrimination, as I would say, in terms of how that budget is allocated uh, towards public versus private. Now, people will also say you're in the private sector and there's, you know, it's, it's easy to, to describe it as discrimination when you're looking to get a bigger slice of the pie. Well, but that's a fact. I mean, the figures speak for themselves. The, the figures are there in black and white, uh, but it's about ensuring, like on the one hand, uh, we're told as the private sector, it's about ensuring value for money. Whereas on the other hand, the, pri- the, the public sector, uh, you know, as I say, there is no oversight effectively of, of the weekly fees in the public system at all. How do we better improve this situation going forward? Because the one thing we do know from looking at the CSO facts is we're going to have more and more people now relying on whether it be nursing home or step-down facilities or staying at home care provision as well. 
an older ageing population living longer. Absolutely. And as I said at the outset, we should be celebrating the fact that people are living longer, but preparing for it. Uh, as an organisation, we've said on a number of occasions that we should have a forum on long-term care. So we should have all of the stakeholders, the HSE, Nursing Homes Ireland, Age Action Ireland, for example, HICWA as the regulator, all of those groups sitting around the table discussing what the future of, of uh, care for the older person is going gonna, is gonna to look like. Because we have an ageing population. Uh, recently, you, you had the ESRI uh, quoting some statistics in terms of 11,000 extra beds needed. Uh, in the current economic climate, it's very difficult to see how those are going to be provided by, by the private sector. And at all, at all, they won't be provided by the public sector. So, And we do need to have a, that mature discussion about how we're going to care for our older people. It shouldn't be about acute or uh, home care versus nursing home care. In essence, it should be about acute versus community. Mm. And that, that, that's why we would support as an organisation the whole Schlanti Care programme uh, on the Department of Health. We need to reorientate services, which is very acute-centric at the minute, to uh, community-based services and the nursing home sector has a vital, vital role to play both in terms of current and future demand. Okay, in line with the sort of primary care setting centre? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I should say as well the Department of Health's review of the Fair Deal scheme in recent years did actually order as well that there will be um, a, a value for money and policy review as well to, you know, to, to be to be carried out as well on all of the public facilities. Yeah, and that's, on, and that's ongoing and obviously we're, we, we, we've made a submission to that review and I think that's positive because, you know, as a, as a country, mm. we do need to, you know, to face up to the fact that we have an ageing population. We don't have an unlimited budget um, and, you know, families themselves need to take some responsibility as well in terms of uh, caring for their, 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 their ageing aging families. One thing that always comes up um, whether when we're discussing nursing home facilities and particularly, well, in, in both the the private actually in public sphere is um, the income and pay of the staff, the actual yes. care workers that yes. are you know working on a, on a daily basis. Is there any appetite to review that? Absolutely. I mean, and that's why the, the review of, of the system of setting nursing home prices under the fair deal is important. And that's imminent. Uh, the minister has said that uh, it was supposed to be published in June of, uh, of 2017. So it's about two years out of date. Uh, so yes, our members, uh, I mean, in particularly carers who work in the sector, they, they are uh, underpaid. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But that's set in effect by the way the government funds the fair deal scheme. Um, so there, there's a limit in terms of uh, in terms of what our members can afford. 62% of, of income uh, goes back out the door of a nursing home in, in terms of wages and salaries. Um, so that's a very, very high figure. So there's very little wriggle room uh, in, in effect for that. So we've been working, for example, with the National Apprenticeship Council recently in terms of an apprenticeship uh, around carers. So we do need to enhance the role of the carer, uh, it, it, both in, in nursing homes and indeed in, in, in the acute hospital system. OK, plenty to consider. My thanks to Tiger. Daly, who's the Chief Executive of Nursing Homes Ireland, for joining us. My next guest, Tom Murray, the founder of FairDealAdvice.ie, joins us on the line. Tom, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Andrea. Tom, just first of all, um, we've been talking a little bit in the first half of the programme today about the Fair Deal scheme, how it came about, and I suppose some of the key things that people need to look out for when they're considering their options, whether it's in both the public or the private sphere. Give us your own take on it. Well, the Fair Deal was set up in 2009 and it replaced a a system that was very unfair. And um, if you required long-term care prior to that, um, 90% of people had to fund it themselves. And a very small proportion of the population were either made what they call contract beds or they, they received a degree of subvention. But it put an awful lot of pressure on individuals and their families. So the Fair Deal was established in 2009, and to make it 
I suppose, fairer for everybody. And the scheme works very well. Um, I would say 95% of the population, it's good for them. Um, there's a small category, 5% or whatever, very wealthy people, where the benefit is very limited. Um, but generally speaking, um, from our experience, you know, most of our clients benefit from being in the fair deal. The scheme itself um, appears to be simple, but can be complicated. So we get a lot of people contacting us to assist them, um, to advise them on, you know, what is the impact of the fair deal going to be on their assets and their income. And, you know, and then some people ask us also then to help them with the application. We should say as well, Tom, just to be clear about this, you, you are a, a broker, is that right? No, I, I'm an accountant and uh, I don't, we're a totally independent advisors on the fair deal. So we don't sell any products or anything to our clients other than straight advice on okay. the fair deal. And th- we should say too, like this is something people can do themselves, but it can be difficult and it can be off-putting. And when we talk to people about the application for the fair deal scheme, I think people are sometimes a little bit apprehensive or nervous about it. So what are the key things I suppose they should be looking out for? Uh, the key things is, I think, you know, if you're anyway uncertain about it and you don't think you have the ability to do it yourself, to get advice from companies like ourselves, um, because the problem is, if you actually get it wrong, you know, there can be implications. So, you know, the fair deal, how it works, um, you pay, a single person pays 80% of their income towards their cost of care, a couple pay 40%. Um, a single person pays 7.5% of their assets and a couple pay 3.75% of their assets. And they're allowed, a single person will be allowed €36,000 exemption from their assets and a couple are allowed €72,000. From my experience, there's a lot of people out there who are afraid of the fair deal and, you know, they're, they're actually very worried about it. And, you know, part of our service is when we advise people we actually calculate in advance of them even applying for the fair deal what exactly mm. it's going to mean for them financially. And is that because and of perhaps some sort of a fear about making a mistake or the implications if they, you know, accidentally omit something, for instance, from the application? Yeah, well, look, there's, there's two problems. I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, there's a lot of people sitting on fences advising on the fair deal who haven't got a clue. So, you know, a lot of people come to me and say, oh, am I going to have to sell my house, you know, and, you know, can I do this, can I do that, you know. Um, So there's a degree of that. But also, you know, one of the problems with a fair deal is if you do make mistakes on it, say, if you leave out an asset, whether deliberately or innocently, you know, um, when the applicant dies, you know, there can be major problems with the estate because um, when the probated assets are submitted, the HSE see them and they compare them against the assets that were submitted in the fair deal. And if there's something has been omitted, the HSE will come after the estate um, for the difference. And if they felt that it was a fraudulent, deliberate omission, you know, they could withdraw any state support that had been provided. So, you know, there can be serious implications Mm, if you get it wrong. Um, I want to ask you about the, the nursing home loan, if you can explain that to us. Yeah, the nursing home loan, look, it's it's a great instrument. Um, You know, basically a lot of people have a house and the house has value in it. But, you know, when you get to 85 and 90, not many people have a whole lot of savings left, you know. And I'm sure as Tig has told you earlier, um, 
you know, 25% of people going into nursing homes of the population over 85 end up in long-term care. So, you know, generally those people, they have their home, but, you know, after being retired for 20 years, their cash funds are depleted. So what the nursing home loan allows you to do is it allows you to borrow against your house um, without actually, uh, you know, having to sell it to fund your long-term care. So basically it funds your asset contribution to part of fair okay. deal. So, you know, I've, I've situations where I have people with houses that, particularly around Dublin, whatever, you know, you could quite easily with a three-bedroom semi have a house that's worth 750000 um, and they might only have 100000 in savings. So what they can do is they can apply for the nursing home loan and they can use their house to fund their asset contribution. So it means that they're not going to run out of cash. Because 100000 in Dublin will fund about a year and a half of nursing home care. So it, it's a great system. There's no loan repayable during the the, the term of the person's life. Um, if you're a couple, um, the loan isn't repayable until the other party, partner, party of the couple dies. So um, under the normal rule of, of the nursing home loan, you have to repay it within 12 months of the person, the applicant's death. But if you're a couple, that's deferred until okay. um, the other person's you know. Tom, just so, with regards to the importance of having, for instance, um, the power of an attorney, and we talk so much about the importance of wills, but just in this case, how, how important is that? Well, it's the one thing that I have to say, you know, I think if you're over 65 or if you're coming up to having a major operation or anything like that, I would seriously advise people having a power of attorney and more importantly, an enduring power of attorney in place. Um, because what actually happens is if you get a stroke or if dementia sets in and you lose your capacity, then you lose your ability to sign uh, documents. So um, for something as simple as when you're doing your nursing home support scheme application, uh, the nursing home loan, for instance, if you, don't, if you don't have capacity, you can't access that loan because you have to sign that you're happy for a charge to be put on your house. So if you don't have a power of attorney, you can't do that. Uh, and basically, you know, your representatives then have to go to court um, and apply for you to be made either a care representative or if people, you know, some people don't have family, so they end up having made maybe a ward of court, which is a very expensive um, process. And particularly the ward of court can take up to six months to process. So, you know, in the meantime, how are you going to fund that person's long-term care? Whereas if you have the power of attorney, and more importantly, an enduring power of attorney in mm. place, um, if somebody loses capacity for any reason, that, that enduring power of attorney can be enacted within three months. Okay. And then somebody can access your funds. So it's significant. For your care, you know. Just finally. But without it, you're in trouble. Finally, Tom, for the moment, the, um, this was the timing of applications. How important are the implications of the timelines here? Well... You know, the, the great thing about the fair deal, once you apply for it and once your funding is approved, you're allowed six months to avail of your offer. Um, some people leave it to the last minute when somebody's in hospital and, you know, they've been told they, they, they're not suitable to go home or not well enough to go home and they need to go into long-term care. Um, in Dublin at the moment, 
a fair deal application can take anything up to 16 weeks to be approved. So if you're in hospital and you have to be discharged into long-term care, that means you have to fund 16 weeks at least of nursing home fees at at least 1,200 to maybe 1,300 a week. Whereas if you know somebody, you know, is in poor health and maybe in the near future may need to uh, avail of nursing home care, you could actually preempt that and apply for the fair deal in advance. Okay. There's lots to consider. If people have more information, they can also get it as well from your website. But my thanks to Tom Murray, who's the founder of fairdealadvice.ie, for joining us here on Between the Lines today. We're joined on the line now by the Minister of State for Mental Health and Older People, Jim Daly. Jim, thanks for taking the call. Good morning, Andrea. Uh, we've been hearing, Jim, a lot from the nursing home, rep- um, the nursing home representative groups and indeed an advisor on the, on the programme and the Fair Deal scheme so far today. But we want to focus, I suppose, really more specifically on the future of step-down care facilities across Ireland. Is the Fair Deal scheme the best way to deal with our ever-increasing older population? Uh, I, I think it is. I mean, most people find the fair deal a fair deal at the end of the day. Uh, it is a co-payment uh, approach towards it. But um, the vast majority, once they get through the application process, the waiting times haven't passed four weeks for several years now. Uh, it probably is the best of, of what's available at the moment, no doubt about that. You talk about that delay of, in many cases, uh, it's probably an average around four to five weeks. Is that satisfactory? Well, it does cause problems because I suppose look, a big issue here is, uh, you know, it's a very traumatic time for people when they're in an acute hospital. And next thing, the prospect of the fair deal scheme appears when it you know, becomes apparent that the elder loved one may have to go into a nursing home. And I would always maintain that that's probably the most stressful setting for any family to have to deal with fair deal. So there can be lots of delays and, you know, having to deal with paperwork and try and get, uh, you know, people's affairs in order. Uh, and that's always a complication is the setting where fair deal is applied for can often be the backdrop of an acute hospital and somebody in an acute hospital setting. Okay, We constantly hear, um, Minister, about the number of people that are, you know, in hospital on trolleys waiting for beds. This actually goes hand in hand with the likes of the d- delayed discharges. New figures just last month show nearly up in 400 patients stuck in hospitals, all awaiting a place in a nursing home. What's your comment to them today? I, I think what we have to do and what we are doing, and we've done it very successfully here in West Cork, is a... Uh, is to open up transitional care facilities um, in local community hospital settings. You don't have to be a mathematical genius to work out that it possibly costs about one-seventh of the cost uh, to the state in both personnel and in both, you know, hard economics as well. To have somebody waiting in an acute bed when they should could be waiting in a much more lower acuity bed down in the community nursing facility. So what I would be trying to do is encourage as many community settings to open up a number of their beds for the provision of transitional care. We've done it here in Clannacilty over the last year and a half. Uh, we have opened up 14 transitional care beds. They'll be officially opened Friday week, but they're up and running and, and full use. And I mean, effectively, at the end of the day, those 14 beds in Clannacilty Community Hospital free up 14 beds in CUH all day, every day, 365 days a year. So to the 378 patients that are currently waiting to hear when and where they're going to be going into a nursing home, your answer today is to start looking at the transitional care providers. No, I, I'm just pointing to one I mean, one solution. There isn't one quick silver bullet to all of this. That's just one solution of transitional care facilities and the development and focus of them, the length and breadth of the country. 
Uh, I last year commissioned a report into the whole issue of delayed discharges. Graham Knowles chaired that for me. We put a group of experts together. They presented that report to me at the end of last year. This year we have established um, uh, an implementation team within the HSE of some very serious personnel there to, to look at. Uh, there's a range of factors that are affecting um, the whole issue of delayed discharges. And I would always maintain that there has been way too much focus on trolleys and people waiting on trolleys and not enough focus on the other end of the acute is people waiting to get out and what are the reasons. Fair deal is one of the reasons why people are too long inside an acute setting uh, waiting for fair deal to come true. I mean, one of the, the proposals there obviously is awareness that people are made more aware of what's involved in fair deal and for people to plan earlier for these events where it is possible. I accept and everybody knows it's not always possible, but that's just one aspect is awareness of people understanding better how the system works and what they will mm. need to do and to, and to think and plan ahead. But the implementation team had their first meeting last month, um, and I attended that meeting of the HSC personnel to uh, come up with a series of uh, what I've asked them to do is an action plan for jobs style document to have it uh, a good draft of it ready for me by September, which will carry out a range of practices and initiatives throughout the HSC that would deal with the issue of delayed discharges. And one of that will have a focus on people waiting for the fair deal scheme. You look, a lot of people would say, obviously, the transitional step down that you're talking about or transitional providers will actually help to alleviate some of the pressure, particularly in terms of taking people out of hospital beds when they don't and shouldn't need to be there. But can I ask you, just going back to the fair deal scheme, because that's, I suppose, really more specifically what we're talking about today, Minister. With the funding for the programme, the Fair Deal Scheme now this year, particularly coming under pressure. I think there's nearly in the region of around 200 extra nursing home residents now actually needing and requiring support under Fair Deal. Can you guarantee that those 200 extra people will get that this year? Yeah, I mean, we we have no reason to believe that there'll be any uh, further pressure on what we call the four-week waiting time, and that's where the pressure will arise if there was a funding problem. Uh, We have made it quite clear, Minister Harris has been very supportive of me on this as well, to make it quite clear to the HSE that that's not to be breached. It is a demand-led scheme, but you can never fully or accurately predict how many people, and when you're talking about, you know, 24,000 people in a scheme, that number can go up and down. And actually, the numbers applying for the scheme, there isn't any major increase in that. It's actually people leaving the scheme is where um, they're... Well, they're not leaving the scheme because they're living longer. Exactly. Um, And that's a testament to to a good health service and a better, I suppose, uh, health population. Um, You know, so that that is the fact. And we have to factor that in. As I say, it's impossible to actually, you know, accurately guesstimate how many people, in actual fact, the numbers for fair deal decreased two out of three of the previous years. The numbers of alien fair deal actually went down as opposed to up year on year. But is that more uh, just to do with, just to, to clarify, Minister, is that more to do with the actual um, number of applications that have been, the actual applications that have been processed as opposed to the demand dropping? No, the, the actual, if you look for the numbers who applied for it, the numbers who applied for fair deal for two out of the past three years, they actually went decreased, albeit slightly. Now there's no massive decrease or anything like that in it. Uh, also, in tandem with that, something that I've driven for the last year and a half since becoming minister is more alternatives to nursing homes. And I think we can get overly focused on the nursing home being the only available option for people as they grow older. We can, in fact, if we get people you know, into more supported housing settings where there are supports available on site for people, people can live out full lives uh, to their to their in days on in these mm. facilities. Well, would... And there's some very good examples of that in the lint breadth of the country. There's not enough of them. I often reference Kilmaley in County Clare, where they told me in a period of 20 years where they have supported housing for elder people on site. They have a primary care centre on the site as well. They have a staff member available 24 hours a day to assist with, like, going to bed at night and, you know, cleaning and 
the things like that, washing and all of that. They have told me in 20 years, I think one person ever has left that setting to go into a nursing home because they got the additional supports. There's a lot of people living in rural Ireland and the nearest public light to them is seven or eight kilometres away. You know, they're very isolated areas. And oftentimes when these people experience a deterioration in their health, the, the only option available for them is, is their own home or a nursing home. And I fervently believe we have to build a middle ground there of supported mm. housing for older people. It doesn't have to be clear. Well, absolutely. And I'm sure the vast majority of older people will say that's the kind of setting they want to be in. The nursing home is perhaps if they just need more medical support um, or assistance. But I just want to go back just to, to clarify something, Minister, that figure, because the most up-to-date figures that I'm looking at are that we, that we do need nearly an extra 200 nursing home um, support spaces or nursing home residents will need support. Nearly two hundred of them, of them. But you're saying that's not the that's not the case. No, yeah. This year we're about two hundred ahead of. I don't know if the two hundred as high. I would say maybe it's about one hundred and sixty ahead of profile. In other words, ahead of where we target. Yeah. In other words, how many people would be availing of the fair deal scheme? And as I said to you earlier, that's because the numbers actually leaving the scheme this year are much less than they were last year. And you know the reasons for that are kind of flu outbreaks. You can have a, a bad, cold, hard winter that can, you know, just take its toll on people earlier. But uh, thankfully for, for many, many families to into bread of the country, there hasn't been that many people have left the scheme say, between January and March this year as they did last year. But, but the point I want to make is that of that figure you talk about, you're right, it's not exactly 200, it's almost 200. But is that figure, will, will those people be accommodated? Can we guarantee that? Well, they are accommodated. They are accommodated here and now. There are figures that are accommodated. You know, there's, a, there's a, an additional 160 or 70 people in the Fair Deal Scheme, availing of the Fair Deal Scheme this year, than, than was projected. Now, these are both figures projected. And as I say, it's always, you know, it's impossible to get it spot on. When you're talking about 24,000, and if you put 160 or 70 as a percentage of it, you're probably up not even 1% or one or, you know, whatever increase, mm. and you have to allow for But I suppose areas. with these kind of projected increases, like you've mentioned, it, it, it highlights the fact that we're going to have further demand into the future on, on this type of service. Well, I don't accept that, that we can just keep following that, you know, the line of argument that you're going there. We, could, we can if we want. We can just be reactive and just, you know, continue to be drawn down that road. What I'm trying to do is do a more proactive approach to care of the elderly. And that is by having, a, you know, a, a relentless focus on different alternatives for people okay. and different options and choices for people, not just their home and the nursing home. And if we do that more successfully and, of course, increase our supports to people available in home care and that, you can re- reduce your reliance on nursing homes as opposed to saying we should keep building more and more nursing homes okay. and well, just, what we always do. When we talk about that, I suppose, and the, the makeup of the nursing home sector, we were talking about that with Tyg Daly a little bit earlier on in the programme. But one of the major criticisms that a lot of the private operators, Minister, have is that, you know, they'll argue that they need to be paid more to care for residents within the scheme. I know there is a steering group now looking at how the public and private sectors are paid for within the Fair Deal programme. I understand they're close to completing their report. Yeah, I, I will have that report I'd say in, in the next two or three weeks. I expect to receive that report. Um, look, there's a lot of issues. It's not as simple as, you know, that the public nursing homes get more than the private. Uh, there's acuity levels have to be taken into consideration. The private sector will typically, more often than not, will uh, decide who they will take and won't take. And then there's people with very high acuity needs and, you know, higher levels of care required. And they will invariably end up in public sector uh, nursing homes. Uh, so, look, it's, it's not as black and white. But we, there's a report being commissioned into it. Uh, as I say, I'll have that in the next two to three weeks. And we'll have a look and see what that report says on that point. But it's, I mean, you know, the private sector will say they're not paid enough. Um, you know, that's 
standard form. I'm not belittling that clean, but I don't know anybody anywhere who says they are paid enough uh, and getting enough for what they're doing. Uh, that tension will always be there. It's independent of me. That's done by the NTPF, which are an independent statutory body. And they decide the prices that are paid to providers of care in the nursing home sector. But, you know, I've always stressed that this isn't the public versus private. I mean, the private operators provide care for about 80% of our residents in nursing homes across Ireland. And that's an enormous contribution to the care of the elderly. And I will always regard and respect that and always happy to engage with the private sector. You know, but there is going to be a tension, of course, about payment rates. That will always be, if it wasn't, there'd be something radically wrong. Can I just ask you finally, Minister, just a slightly separate issue, but but staying within the same theme. We've had a public meeting in Dublin this week to highlight what the, it's been described as this home care crisis, the concept of a postcode lottery in terms of um, the level of people or number of people in receipt of home care hours, home care supports and the Family Carers Ireland Association now want you and the government to end what they're describing as the postcode lottery. How can you um, address that particular issue? Yeah, well, what we've done is, uh, since I, again, when I became minister there a year and a half ago, whatever it was, I uh, launched a public consultation basically to get the views of people on home care, what they liked about it, what they would be, you know, and how they would like to see a new scheme. What I want to develop is, and we're a long way towards doing this, is a statutory home care scheme, just like Fair Deal, where you're guaranteed by statute that if you apply for it, you will receive it. You know, it'll be demand-led. It won't be depending on availability of resources or availability of... Uh, we've looked at lots of different models, even the co-payment, you know, contributions towards it, where appropriate, all of that. We asked all of those sorts of questions in the consultation. We got an enormous response, almost 4,000 uh, responses. And um, my department have worked through all of them uh, with some academics or whatever have distilled down. So we are in the process now of, um, and I hope in, by January, to be able to publish how I would envisage um, or how we as a state would envisage delivering home care delivered by statute. The difficulty I have is if I keep reacting to the individual pieces of this jigsaw, where, I mean, the carers have an issue with their payment rates. We have an issue about the availability of carers. We have an issue with about the availability of finance. We have an issue with, you know, standards and being different in different areas, the postcode lottery, etc. If I attack them all individually, piece by piece, well, I'll still be here or somebody will be here in this job doing it in 10 years' time, doing the same but thing. But is, is, the, is the criticism not, though, Minister, that the, the statistics that were released or published earlier this week in some of the media, they've actually revealed it's the discrepancy, it's the large differences that exist in the level across the country, but depending on the catchment you're in. Absolutely. And I mean, that is two and threefold. That is the availability of personnel to deliver it. For example, down on West Coast, that's the biggest challenge we have. It's not funding, but it's actually to get people to deliver the service. And they will maintain that, the, you know, the service is too bitty and too piecemeal to do and that they're going 20 minutes here and a half an hour there. I absolutely accept that the current system is not fit for purpose. Uh, I have never made any bones about that. And that's why I want to design a new scheme, which I've committed to bring in by 2021. But I have to do it in its totality. I can't just address each individual piece in a reactive model. I have to be more proactive and take the entire okay. scheme and try and fix the flaws within it. I have committed to doing that. There is an awful lot of work by on to do that. And we're very hopeful to have a new scheme. The Fair Deal scheme, you, well, people may not recall, but it took, I think, nine years mm-hmm. to bring it about. I hope to have this done within three years. Okay, but and that call from the Family Carers Ireland um, spokesperson, Catherine Cox, earlier this week, they say they've actually put forward a proposal, things like, you know, that would allow carers, no matter where they live, to have basic access to supports in the home or emergency respite or training, even one-to-one support counselling, all of that kind of stuff. Would you, could you guarantee that those kind of ideas might be contained within this report? 
Yeah, well, I mean, they, of course, conditions for carers will be a key part of this because if you want to attack or deal with the issue of availability and supply of carers, you have to look at their conditions. So absolutely, I mean, all of those points will be taken on board and will be factored in as best we can in the overall delivery of a scheme that would be fit for purpose, demand-led, fully funded and guaranteed by statute so that people, when they require home care in the home, you know, can get it. For example, say, you know, at the moment there's 200 people with dementia getting intensive home care packages. That would be 200 more people inside in fair deal if that wasn't there. And they are slightly less expensive. Home care, intensive home care packages, that's the full home care delivery at home, is slightly less expensive than the clinical-led one inside in the, in the nursing home. So, you know, this makes sense. This is the way forward. And that will, what we talked about earlier, reduce pressure on, you know, we can't just keep reacting and, and building more nursing homes okay. and let everybody into nursing homes. We have to look at more proactive ways of dealing with it uh, and imaginative, creative solutions. We'll leave it there for the moment. My thanks to the Minister of State for Mental Health and Older People, Jim Daly, for joining us on Between the Lines today. Well, that's all we have time for today. My thanks to all of the panellists. If you've missed any of the programme, you can download our podcast on our website at newstalk.com or search for News Talks Between the Lines on iTunes or any other podcast player. My thanks to the production team, Simon Keane and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with Breakfast Briefing on Monday morning from 6 and with Between the Lines this time next week. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day.